It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm John Weeks and this is The Leader. It's been 70 years and 29 days since the last royal coronation in this country. But a more modern 2023 ceremony for our new monarch, King Charles, is almost here. Despite it being so long since the last one, we all know somehow what to expect. A march through the streets of London, King Charles travelling along in the gold state coach, and a jewel-encrusted crown placed on the head of our new king. But where did these traditional practices originate? What's the meaning behind them? And what will be different this time around? Joining me now is Dr George Gross, a research fellow at King's College London, specialising in the history of coronations. So George, coronations, how long have they been a thing? And what are they officially? So it's not unique to Britain. Um, I think we somehow think maybe this is something rather special and unique to Britain. The idea of sticking some something on somebody's head goes back millenniums. Um, it's Roman, Egyptian, in Africa, all over the world. So it's not unique to Britain, but the tradition really goes back to at least our early records in the UK is sort of the 9th, 10th century, where we start to see the coronation of Edgar, of Bath. We've got some records. And then it really cements itself from 1066 onwards at Westminster Abbey. So it's a long tradition within the Abbey, thousand years of history. And what does it mean? I think the easiest way we, we try and explain why it's important, because I think most people think, okay, well, the king is dead, long live the king. We've got this idea that, that the monarch immediately becomes the monarch after the death of the predecessor. The way we see that is that's the engagement and the coronation is the marriage to the state. So it's the formalization. And that's made important within the service because there's a coronation ring. So the, the monarch receives a ring, just as you might do in a wedding. And there are also vows and it's witnessed by people as well. So the whole combination sets it up in that fashion. And some monarchs even go back to the Tudors. Elizabeth I was being pressured by her council to get married and she sort of famously turned to them and said, well, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm married to England. What more do you want? So that's really where it is. And it has the crucial coronation oath which the monarch will make. So that's a very active part. Uh, and what is that oath, George? What will King Charles say? Well, there are a series of clauses, but the most important goes back to medieval times, really. And this is to uphold justice with mercy, justice with law and mercy. So this is a really important idea. People say, okay, why have something that's 
perhaps quite archaic um, or medieval still in the 21st century, but we've got war in Europe. Um, we have rulers who are breaking the rule of law. And I think for the head of state, head of the UK to swear to uphold certain core values like that um, really means something, tells, tells the world what Britain's about. So that, that's quite special. And this is the active part. This is the monarch's bit. We saw, in a sense, the, the reign of the queen, her legacy of service. She clearly felt something very special, both from the oath and the anointing. This was something she couldn't break. Um, it was for her whole life. And, and th- that's that part. But it's the, the great thing about it within our service is, within the British services, that um, at the beginning there is a, what we call a recognition and then an acclamation. So the audience is actually asked, do they see this person to be their king or queen? Then you might say, okay, well, they've never said no. And they haven't gone, yeah, we want somebody else, call them in. But this is significant because it's a contractual arrangement. They are actually asked, you know, Russian serfs were never asked for consent for a, a czar. So this is a moment where the people are asked and, if, and they agree, they acclaim. And at that point, you proceed with the rest of the service. So if they don't say yes, you can't have anything else. And obviously, it's been quite a while since we've had a coronation in the UK. Obviously, the Queen's was the last one a long time ago. How will King Charles's coronation differ from previous ones? Obviously, times change. So coronations have always been evolving. There there may be these sort of traditions or medieval concepts that are still there, still part of the ceremony, but they have always evolved. And not least with the people who turn up, that always reflected that particular moment of time. You've got people like Alan Brooke and Montgomery, the sort of war heroes of the Second World War, were very firmly present in 1953, just as you'll have today's celebrities for, for now. So things evolve. How will it be different? It will be smaller. It will be shorter. It won't have a coronation naval review. That seems very unlikely. There will be more representatives from different faiths. I think it will be different to 53, but it won't seem necessarily that different because I think we're quite accustomed to things like the Cenotaph Remembrance Sunday service or Commonwealth Day services that showcase much more what Britain's about in 2023. So it will be more like that. That, of course, means it will be different to 53, but you would expect that. It's not a fossilised moment. Um, It's meant to adapt for the times. It'll be small, there'll be different music. So we've got lots of nods to sustainability, whether it's in the logo or the invitations. So there are clear, clear things that are being put forward that matter. At the same time, it will still be very traditional. You're going to have the pomp and ceremony you'll have, just as with that remarkable funeral, you'll have lots of military present and so on. So there'll be that sort of mix. And then on top of that, you have something that Britain seem to always like, which is a street party, a bank holiday. Um, So you've got a lot of those elements as well. But I think what's interesting with this one, I find at least reading about what people are thinking and their expectations, is people don't necessarily have expectations because they've never seen one before. So in 53, people will have read about or listened on the radio or seen the newsreel of 37 with George VI and um, Queen Elizabeth, Queen Mother. But they um, for this one, no one really knows what a coronation is because um, they just haven't seen seen one. They, they think it's sticking something on somebody's head. And that's really so I think there will be a lot of intrigue on the day because it's something that is a novelty. It's new. And are there any fun facts at all you could tell us about the royal carriage or the crown, for example, that will appear in this coronation? The gold state carriage, which was made in in. Well, it was meant to be made, like all good things. It was planned for George III's coronation, but came a year later. So it ended up being used for the opening of the state parliament there, or the state opening parliament. That is 
famously incredibly uncomfortable to travel in. I think even the Queen referred to it as being horrible. So they're only used that on the way back, but it will be used. The crown that will crown the monarch is St. Edward's crown. So this is the 1661 remake uh, of the original. The idea is it draws sort of allusion to St. Edward the Confessor and he has his shrine in Westminster Abbey. So that's only used at a coronation. So that's its one use. So that we will get to see that used. It's incredible, it's priceless, all, all of these objects are. The spoon, that goes back to the 12th and 13th century. That will be used during the anointing. It's one of the oldest bits of the regalia. Well, it is the oldest bit of the regalia still surviving. The chair, which is in itself remarkable, the coronation chair, again, apocryphally referenced to St. Edward the Confessor, but it has a slot from when King Edward took the Stone of Schoon or Stone of Destiny from Scotland. So we'll have the Stone of Destiny involved in this chair that dates something like 1296, 1290s. So it's very old. And as a functioning bit of furniture, it's one of the oldest bits of used furniture. It doesn't get used very often, but it's one of the oldest bits of used furniture in the world. So you've got little bits like that, which I think are remarkable. For the regalia, this is the great opportunity for it to be seen. You know, normally it sits in the Tower of London. Now it will actually be on show for its use. Let's take a break now. In part two, we'll hear who has and hasn't made it onto the coronation guest list with Evening Standards' Emma Lofhagen. This guest list is kind of dramatically slimmed down compared to the last coronation. There are quite a few familiar faces that won't be making an appearance. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. So Emma, first of all, can you just give us a bit of an idea of the running of the day of the coronation? What can we expect on the day? Yeah, so the coronation is happening on the 6th of May, on the Saturday, and it kicks off pretty early at 7.15. That's when the first guests will start to arrive at Westminster Abbey. They should all be seated by half nine, and then kind of heads of state, foreign royals, members of the British royal family, all the big names will start arriving then. And we'll see the King's procession at around 10. The King and the Queen will be travelling from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Abbey in that famous Diamond Jubilee state coach. So the streets will be lined with people watching that. That will be one of the big events of the day. And then at 11am, there'll be the actual coronation, which is obviously the big deal. And after that, the royals will travel back to Buckingham Palace and we'll see them on the balcony. And I understand you've managed to get a sneak peek of the guest list. Who are some of the notable names making an appearance at the coronation? 
Yes, so this guest list is kind of dramatically slimmed down compared to the last coronation, which was obviously the coronation of the Queen in 1953. That guest list had about 8,000 people. This year, it's only going to be 2,000. And there are quite a few familiar faces that won't be making an appearance. I think probably most notably is Meghan Markle, Duchess of Sussex. She will be staying at home in California where she lives with Prince Harry. And another guest who won't be making an appearance is Sarah Ferguson, Fergie, Prince Andrew's ex-wife, who has said that she won't be coming. Reportedly, she wasn't invited. But there will be obviously a host of recognisable faces, foreign royalty, which is actually breaking with tradition. Obviously, the British royal family will be there, um, all the big names. Prince Harry will be there, Prince William, and also Queen Camilla's family will be there too. We'll also see heads of state from around the world. Notably, Joe Biden won't be there, but he will be represented by his wife, the First Lady, Jill Biden. There'll be obviously, you know, French President Emmanuel Macron, Ursula von der Leyen, other big names from around the globe. And there'll also be some members of the public, particularly representatives of charities that King Charles and uh, Camilla support. And you mentioned King Charles trying to sort of mix up the guest list a bit to modernise the ceremony. What are the key differences in terms of personnel there between the Queen's coronation and King Charles's coronation? Yeah, so as I said, foreign royalty is kind of the big one. There are a host of foreign royals who confirm that they're coming. And yeah, he's he's trying to bring this into the 21st century. So a lot of royals from, from Europe and from around the world will be there. There are also a couple of more controversial guests, guests who've perhaps raised some eyebrows who've confirmed they're coming. One of whom is the Chinese vice president, it sparked outrage for his appearance on the guest list from prominent members of the British Parliament because he oversaw Hong Kong affairs over the last five years, during which time China imposed controversial national security laws in Hong Kong, kind of stifling opposition and criminalising dissent. So that obviously sparked widespread protests in the region and kind of condemnation globally. So his appearance is is raising eyebrows, as is Vice President of Sinn Féin, Michelle O'Neill, because obviously Sinn Féin has a, a strong Republican history as a party, um, but this is kind of a signal from her stepping away from the party's strict Republican values. So there are a couple of controversial names and, and um, switching it up in terms of foreign royalty as well. And I suppose the unofficial guests on the day, of course, members of the public, whether that's people lined along the streets of London or people watching from home. How do you think the public will get involved with the coronation this year? Obviously, the most recent one in living memory for most people. Yeah, so there will be around 850 members of the public who are actually invited to the ceremony. It's a mixture of representatives of charities and also COVID heroes who were awarded the British Empire Medal in recognition of their efforts during the lockdowns. But there are thousands of people expected to turn up in London for the event, lining the streets. You know, you can watch it in a lot of the royal parks. They have screenings and they're expected to be packed. And obviously, as you say, it is the first coronation in living memory for the vast majority of people. And it's always a big deal when all these foreign royalties and dignitaries and heads of state descend 
on London. It's very exciting. And, you know, people will be throwing street parties. Hopefully the weather will be good. So I'm sure it will be a very, a very exciting day for a lot of people. There's more Coronation content in the Evening Standard newspaper and at standard.co.uk. That's The Leader. Thanks for listening. We're back tomorrow afternoon at four o'clock. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.